I am Camille Johnson, and this is Finding the Floor. Stories and reflections of midlife motherhood, family, and finding meaning in it all. Join me as I share a little piece of my life and figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Hey everyone, welcome to Finding the Floor. This is episode 77, and today I'm going to talk about the laws of habit change from the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. Now, last week I spoke about identity and how it is easier to keep going with a habit if it you have decided kind of who you want to become and that is part of it. So this next part is really most of his book is all about the practical ways that you can either start a new habit or stop a bad habit. And Anyway, he calls them the four laws, and I'm going to go over all four of them today. But first, I have a couple things to share. One, we got so much snow this past week. I guess it was two days ago. And literally almost a foot and a half of snow came down. So much snow. It was Martin Luther King Day, so my kids were already off school And then they had a teacher in service. So they didn't miss any school because it was already scheduled to not have it. But it's the first really big snowstorm we've had yet in the Cleveland area. And it was a lot. Like we had to dig an area out for our dog because it was too tall for her. (laughs) Because she would like sink in. It was literally taller than her when we're going for a walk. When I went for a walk with her yesterday, there are places where like she is just as high as where the snow has been shoveled. So funny. So I was grateful for there must have been a few different houses that I saw that had like dug out little spots like on their tree lawn. And that was really helpful. (laughs) And then the other thing that I have been doing lately which has been so good and a little bit scary is my son he got his driver's permit and he is like super excited about driving I don't know what it took we had this one day where I just took him out for an hour and he's like all in to practice driving now so every time we get in the car he wants to drive which is great and also scary. I don't know how many of you have gone through that with your kids, probably a lot. And the first probably 10 to 15 hours, (laughs) I know that seems like a lot, but it's just nerve wracking because you don't really know, or I guess you don't really trust their driving skills yet, right? Usually once I get past the 10 or 15 hour mark where we've been in the car for, you know, maybe two weeks or two and a half, three weeks, 
and then I just feel better. Like, okay, I trust you to not run into that car. But right now I'm still in that mode of, ah, I don't know. Slow down. (laughs) You've got to listen to me. You don't know what you're doing quite yet. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that just in a second and how that relates to habits. But it's just, it's a good thing because I can't wait for my son to be able to drive himself places. We make life so much easier because he has like these soccer practices that are way far away. Although it's also nerve wracking when they're also driving by themselves. Like I get to the point where when my kids get their license so I don't freak out. I just say a prayer and then I just don't freak. I don't worry about or think about them driving because it worries me too much. <laughs> I don't know if any of you else do that, but I just say a prayer and then I don't think about it. And hopefully they get home okay. Or like, it's not like I can do anything to prevent an accident. All my worrying doesn't prevent it. Anyway, so, Okay snow and teenage driving. (laughs) That's not what we're going to talk about today. Today we are going to talk about the four laws of habit formation. And what I really liked about this next section was just how practical it is. It's all about, I want you to understand how habits are formed. And so he goes into like the habit loop And then he says, if you understand that and maybe have a little more awareness of your habits, whether you want to start a new one or fix a bad one, this will help you get more clarity. Because what he says in the beginning of this section of the laws, he says, when we say to ourselves, like, why don't I do what I say I'm going to do? Or why do I say something is important to me, but I never make time for it? And he says the answer to these questions can be found somewhere in these four laws. So we understand these four fundamental laws of habit formation, which go along with how your brain kind of creates habits or that habit loop, then you'll understand how the best way to do that. He begins by saying something that is very important because we've just kind of come to the point where we've decided, who do I want to become? What do I want to do? I have these goals or these new year resolutions. And as you're thinking about that, as you begin, it's also good to just be aware of the habits that you are currently doing. And he says, If we're not aware of our habits, it's hard to know what to change or something else to start. And he says, sometimes we're so, quote unquote, automatic with some things that we don't even think about it. And that is the whole point of a habit is that our brain is becoming efficient at solving problems. Any little thing that we do is to solve a problem that we need to fix. He says habits are solving problems. And okay, so if you remember, it was episode 47. So it was a while ago. 
but I talked about the book, The Power of Habits. And in that book, Charles Duhigg really goes over in depth how our brains form habits and how there's that basal ganglia and it is trying to make our brains efficient so they don't have to work as hard and they form this habit loop. So our brain is trying to be efficient and to solve problems and to help us so we can just do things. That's why habits are helpful because we can automatically do a few things. And he actually points out that some people think that habits create less freedom. And he seems to say, well, if you have actually good habits, they actually create more freedom for your life. So if you have a good financial habit, then you have more financial freedom because you've developed this way to save money and live within your means. Or if you have a good exercise habit, then you're getting the point where you're, you know, giving your body the exercise it needs. So he just talks about having that freedom because we are establishing habits. And even I remember like the the fly lady talks about if you have this habit, like a morning routine and evening routine of when you clean up and always do these things that it really does become automatic and frees you up from even your cleaning. All those things can free you up. So habits are good, but they can also be bad, right? You have the good and bad. Or actually, he talks about how habits really, you decide what is good and bad for them because it really depends on who you want to become, which is his point from the earlier chapter. So he has like a habit scorecard and really kind of go through your day and what are all the things you do just to being more aware of your habits. What is funny about this is now that I am teaching my son how to drive, I am hyper aware of all the things that he's doing while he's driving. And then he notices all the things that I'm doing that I may say he shouldn't be doing and I'm doing them. So there was one day where I told him when he turned, he needed to stay making a right turn. You have to stay in the closest lane. And he's like, mom, you didn't do that earlier. I'm like, ugh. Oh, probably didn't. (laughs) Um, Or making sure that I'm following the speed limit because I want to make sure that he follows the speed limit. So now I am kind of more aware right now of my driving habits because I'm trying to teach him how to drive. And so that's kind of James Clear's point is as you think about all the things you do, maybe evaluate. Some are good or are casting votes towards the person you want to become and some maybe not so good. And some are just neutral, you know, like brushing your teeth, waking up in the morning, or we could even say waking up in the morning is a good habit. So he just mentions that you can just this awareness, having an awareness of your habits is really helpful as you decide things you want to keep and things you want to work on. Okay, so as a reminder, with a habit, it begins with a cue, then you have a craving, 
and then there's a response and a reward. And each of the laws that he has, they correspond with the habit loop of the cue, craving, response, and reward. Okay, so the first law is the cue. And what he calls this law is he says, make it obvious. Just like I'm now more aware of my driving habits, he suggests calling and pointing, which is a safety protocol used in Japan on their trains, especially their high-speed trains. And he says, while any action is done, the train workers are trained to point and say the action that they were they're doing so that they can look and see and watch you know what they're doing so it doesn't become this rote thing so they can always catch if there's any problems and he says there was this one time where this worker was pointing at the doors closing on a high-speed train and this mother's son had gotten on the train and she hadn't when the doors closed and her arm was stuck and the train was about to go off. But because they were doing this calling and pointing, they caught it right away, opened the doors, she got in and everything was okay. The other thing he talks about with the awareness part is to be non-judgmental as you're seeing your goals or habits. Like don't be judgmental of the habits and decide, okay, this habit maybe is not exactly casting votes for who I really want to become. So what are things I can do differently or how can I avoid this? And one thing about really about this book, he has so many great stories. And what I noticed yesterday as I was kind of re-listening to the part with all the laws, which is the majority of the book, that it really only takes about six to seven hours to listen to the whole book. And it's about 320 pages. So it's a manageable read and very, very useful and helpful information. So one of the things about, he says, make it obvious. One of the tips he says is what he calls habit stacking. So he says, when you start doing a new habit, put it on top of another habit you already do. So I noticed at the beginning of my my gratitude journal practice that I was struggling to be consistent. I mean, I would do it every week, but sometimes I'd forget like the whole week and then sit down and have to write like seven whole days, which isn't bad. I really actually enjoyed reflecting, but sometimes I would forget some things that would happen. And I wanted it to be like a really a daily practice for me. So um, I started doing it at night and I noticed that wasn't really working. And I also would like do it on like a Google Drive or a Google Doc and have to get out my computer and do it. And so that wasn't really working for me either. And I noticed this summer that something that really started working for me was that I had begun this habit of writing thoughts down as I was doing my scripture study. So I decided that, oh, well, instead of having a separate journal for my gratitude, it's going to be right before my scripture study. So now each morning 
either before or after I've done my scripture reflection and study, I will do my gratitude from the day before. So I'll think about the day before and write down a few things that I am grateful for. And that has really been helpful, not only just to be better at doing the habit, but that I just love kind of getting in that mode early of seeing things that I'm grateful for in the morning. So I just love this idea of habit stacking. So if there's something you already do and you want to start something new, he's saying that just tack it on with that. And that really helps making it more obvious. And the one thing he really points out with making it obvious is that many people think they lack motivation, but what they lack is clarity. Make sure you give your goals a time and a place. Be specific. And he gets into that a little more in the fourth law as well. But so that's another thing um, that he says is to make sure you have like a time and a place that you are going to do the certain habit. So you write that down or he calls like an implementation plan. There are a few more things he says, but I can't, if I, this would be way too long <laughs> if I go into all of that. So I'm just pointing out a couple things that I thought was helpful. And each one of these laws has sort of like an inverse. So if you want to stop a habit, you just do the inverse of that. So with make it obvious, the inverse of that is make it invisible. So if there are ways that you can make your habit hard to do or make the cue, so what usually gets you started on thinking about that habit, if that goes away, it makes it easier to stop the habit. Okay, so you're making it obvious. That's the first law. Your cue, whatever is going to get you to do the habit, make that obvious or tack it on another habit with the habit stacking, doing something that you're already doing. Okay, so the next law, second law has to do with the craving in the habit loop, which is make it attractive. So one thing he points out, which I do all the time, and I didn't even realize it, what he calls temptation bundling. And he says, pair an action you want to do with an action you need to do. And I think I do this all the time. Maybe I don't want to do anything really in my life. So I give myself a motivation. So many times it's like, oh, I have this book I really want to listen to and I need to clean up the kitchen. Or, oh, I really want to watch this show. So I'll fold laundry and watch a show. So I'm doing something I want to do with something I need to do. Um, my sister and I do this a lot when we're on the phone together. We'll start, like if she calls me or I call her and she's like, she's like, hold on, I'm going to do my dishes. And so then we're just talking to each other and cleaning our house. So it makes it not really notice cleaning our house <laughs> and we get to chat and catch up. So doing things you want to do, pairing it with something you kind of have to do. So that is what James Clear calls temptation bundling. 
And then the inverse of that law of make it attractive is to make it unattractive. So if there's a craving that you have, he talks about how something you can really just find ways to see the benefit of not doing that thing or that habit. Um, in it, he mentions like there's this book um, to help people stop smoking. And in the book, he just basically says, smoking doesn't relax you. Smoking, all the things that you think smoking does, it doesn't. So anyway, he was just saying, make it unattractive if there are things that you want to stop doing. Okay, the third law which goes along with the third part of the habit loop, which is the response or the action that you take. So again, you have your cue, something in your environment that like triggers you to do the habit. Then you have the craving, the desire to want to do the habit. And he goes in a lot into like how we as humans, actually the desire to do something is almost stronger than when we actually do it. So looking forward to something or when when people are either addicted to drugs or gambling, they get most excited as they see, let's say, they're about to win, but they don't win. Or just when they, he says, when they see like the drug, they know they're going to have that reward and so their dopamine spike then so just really interesting so anyway we're back to the third law which goes into the response and that one is to make it easy so this is when you take action this is when you're actually doing something in this chapter he talks about the difference between action and motion And he says, motion is when we're doing a lot of planning. Let's say we want to research the best diet plan. And so we're doing all this research, but not actually doing anything or the same with like an exercise plan. Or I know I did this a lot right before I started my podcast because I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to do a blog or a podcast. And I was just doing all this research, but I wasn't actually making any progress or taking any actual action. And he's saying sometimes we mistake this idea of motion, of planning and research into like actual action. He mentions in the book about there was a teacher of a photography class and he would divide his class into two um, groups. One group was asked to take at least 100 pictures for the grade for the semester and another class was asked to take just one really almost like perfect picture and inevitably at at the end of the semester when the class was finishing that the people who were asked to do all the 100 pictures actually turned in the best pictures even better than the people who all they had to do was just get one really good picture. But they just thought about it way too much and how to capture the best picture instead of just trying and trying and trying and taking that action. So taking action is important, but he says it's good to just make it easy. 
So that reminded me of when I started my habit of making my bed. And to make it easy, I just decided, okay, I'm just going to make my bed really poorly and pull the covers up. But I want to just begin the habit. It's not going to be perfect right now. I'm just going to start and make it really easy. And so that's what he says. We want to break down the habit into a way that will make it easy for us to start doing it. And one of his tips, I mean, he has a lot, but one of them he calls the two-minute rule. So if you want to start a new habit, you want to break it down into such a way that to start it, all it's going to take is two minutes. And that's it at the beginning. Because we tend to try to do way too much when we start a habit and then we burn out. And what he's trying to help us or like help with is that we don't burn out and that we slowly get practiced on just showing up. So his idea would be, he mentions like, okay, if your goal is to run a marathon, that's really hard. And he talks about a 10K, that's a little bit more manageable. 5K is even easier. Maybe a walk around, a 10 minute walk, that's even easier. But lacing up your shoes, that's really easy. And so that's somewhere you could even start. So all you're doing at the beginning is a really, really easy step. And then each week you're building up to getting like longer and longer. So it's similar to like the um, the minimum amount that you're going to do. Like with my bed, I'm going to make my bed, but it doesn't have to be perfect. I'm just going to make it sopily. Just like that. So finding something that's really manageable and easy. I think this is really, really, really key. Because I know, especially like when you want to start a new exercise program and you go all in and you start the first day and you work out for like an hour and maybe you're okay the next day or you're not and you're so sore you can't even move. (laughs) Which makes it really hard to keep doing your habit. And so his whole point is that you want to make it so you're showing up. And you're making it so easy that it's just your brain won't protest, if that makes sense. Your brain's not going to give you all the reasons why you couldn't do it. So something like lacing up your shoes, your brain's going to be like, yeah, I can lace up my shoes and do something for two minutes. And I've been thinking about that a lot with my kids because there are a couple things that I wanted to start with them. For instance, I noticed that Like my kids know how to help clean up after dinner. We've had chores after dinner for years. But what I've noticed that especially since the beginning of the pandemic, we've just gotten really lax with all of that stuff. And I've wanted to get back in to doing that. But I noticed that they're just like kind of, they don't want to do anything. (laughs) And so if there was something like, okay, everybody, Today, I want you just to help for two minutes. And your job is to do this for two minutes. And maybe that will be more frustrating for me because I would have to finish up all the things. But maybe it's just about helping them get in the habit of helping out, whether it be after a meal or um, when I want them to clean their room. 
So getting in that showing up habit. All right, tonight, all I want you to do is clean up for two minutes. Let's see what you can do. And that just feels way more manageable. We want to be able to take action, but we want to, he's saying you want to make sure it's like super easy that your brain's not going to protest. Take as much friction out as possible. And that also reminds me of when the organizing book, The Pixies Did It, um, about you organize with your personality type. And they kept on saying, if there are too many steps, they're not going to do it. So make it as easy as possible. So with the action, with your habit, again, start with something easy and then you're going to slowly build up to whatever goal, eventual goal you want to accomplish. But you're really slowly each day casting votes for that type of habit and therefore that type of person you want to become. And part of that person is showing up and keeping those promises to yourself every day, right? I just love that. Okay. So the inverse of that third law is to make it difficult. And so he's saying, if there's a habit you want to stop doing, put so many things in the way that it'll make it difficult to do it. Don't buy the foods that you don't want to eat. Make sure they stay out of your house. He said, even if you don't want to watch TV, unplug it after you watch it every time. And that, that will just deter you a little bit. I know I've heard of like people who want to stop spending and they like freeze their credit cards. I've never done that. But anyway, same idea, making it difficult to do a bad habit. Okay, the fourth law, which goes with the last part of the habit loop, which is the reward part, which is usually why we want to do it because we get some sort of reward, whether good or bad. Um, and he says that is that fourth law is to make it satisfying. And one thing he points out in the book, which I find is totally true, is that most of the time when you're trying to start a good habit, there is a delayed response to the results. Whether even when you start a new job, you don't get paid for a couple weeks, or when you want to eat better, you're not going to notice your weight changing right away. Like the next day, you don't lose like 10 pounds. Um, and it's usually only on the crash diets that aren't good for you that you lose a lot of weight and you have that instant reward. So he's saying a lot of the good habits have a delayed reward and our bad habits, whether it be eating junk food, smoking, they usually have that immediate reward, which is why we keep going back to them because they're satisfying. So if we can make whatever good habit we're doing immediately satisfied so we have some sort of reward afterwards when we do it, then that will also help us keep establishing and going on with that habit. So making it satisfying is like he says to have an immediate reward for something you want to do. So he even suggests, let's say, if you're working out, um, maybe afterwards you have a massage because you'll look forward to that reward. Or I know a friend of mine used to always, and maybe this is more also with the temptation bundling, but 
she loves to work out, but she likes to work out with friends. So it's like I get to catch up with a friend and I work out. So maybe that's more temptation bundling, but kind of similar thing. Like I'm going to work out and then have a nice visit with my friends afterwards or or at the same time, because I know this reward is going to happen. I will do this habit. He also says you need to make sure that your reward doesn't sabotage your habit. So like if you're trying to eat better and you said, oh, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to not have sugar for a week. And then my reward is to have sugar. Maybe a different reward would be better because maybe that's going to then trigger you to eat more sugar or exercising kind of similar thing. I'm going to exercise really well. And when I do that, after I'm done exercising, I'm going to have a bowl of ice cream. (laughs) I mean, obviously there's moderation in all things, but just making sure that, you know, your reward isn't sabotaging what you're trying to accomplish with your results. Okay. Um, He says another thing that's actually really helpful is having a habit tracker. Just even simply tallying or making X every day that you did the habit or, um, you know, tracking your food or tracking your exercise or he has a story of um, a person who was, he was this young professional and every day he would, ha- he would make sure he made like 30 calls um, to get for clients and he had this paper clip that he would move from the one bowl into another bowl. And he knew that he would, as he's filling it up, like seeing that physical filling up was a reward. So just kind of seeing your progress, have it look somehow physical is another way. I know when I did this one particular workout on the days before we had all these streaming services and YouTube where I was, you know, using a DVD and this program had like nine different workouts and you're supposed to do them each like for 10 days and then you would move on. So I had to make sure I would tally each time I would do the workout so I could keep track of, you know, when I get to move on. And I noticed that I like, it was so satisfying to like, yay, I finished my workout and put that tally mark down. And when I finished it, I was so, so proud. I had done 90 tally marks. I'd worked out 90 times, maybe not necessarily, they weren't always in a row because we would run into Sundays and it was really good to kind of see my results because I was tracking them. So he says a habit tracker is good, But, but just to watch out that sometimes we get obsessed with the tracking and we lose track of the whole purpose of why we're doing that goal. So just to be careful with that. So the inverse of the law is to make it unsatisfying. And he mentions a friend of his who really wanted to get back into shape and had these certain commitments that he would make with like his trainer and his wife. And if he didn't do those things, he would owe his wife $500. He says, so sometimes you can make things a little bit more painful, like doing a contract or, you know, saying, okay, if I don't do this, I owe you $100. Um, there's some accountability and that'll really kind of hurt a little bit and make a difference. Okay, so those are the four laws. So we have the first law, make it obvious. The second law, make it attractive. 
the third law, make it easy, and the fourth law, make it satisfying. I know this has really been helpful to think about how to create a good habit, and it's just really practical and helpful in all these different ways that you can think of how you're doing and achieving your action in your life. So next week, I am going to finish up with a few last ideas from this book. But I loved the thought that I shared at the beginning is, why am I not doing the things I say I want to do? And maybe it is simply learning to have more clarity and understanding these laws will make it even easier. So I hope that this will make it easier. And again, I'll just encourage you to either check out his book from the library or read his book or even start getting his newsletters. And I'll have a link to all those in the episode description and also on my website as well. Okay, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week and I will talk to you next week. All right, see ya, bye. you enjoyed today's episode if you have any questions come by findingthefloor.com where i will have show notes and links for anything i've mentioned today special thanks to seth johnson for creating and performing the theme music come back next week and thanks for listening 